It was uh, an ordinary day. At least that's what Denzel Washington's character uh, in this movie Flight wants the world to believe. In the movie Flight, not exactly a movie safe for the entire family, so don't go rent it if you have uh, little kids. Uh, even hesitated showing it this morning, but I showed it this morning because it is a powerful picture. It's a powerful picture of the damage that sin can cause when we let it run our lives, especially when it comes to the topic that we're diving into this morning, what it means when it comes to our relationship with the truth. And uh, we were talking about this morning, and I think it's something important to talk about because it's one of those sins, it's one of those areas of brokenness of life that can just sneak up on us. It's so subtle, and if we're honest, we have to acknowledge this morning that some of us at some point have had a secret. All of us at some point in our lives have probably had a secret to hide and whip. Whip Whitaker, the airline pilot that Denzel Washington plays in this movie, Flight, is absolutely no exception. You see, the world believes that he's a hero, and he is. He's a hero. He's landed a plane that the steering went out on. The elevator uh, had a malfunction in it, so the plane couldn't go up or down. And despite that, still managed to land the plane miraculously, saving 96 out of 102 people on board. He's a hero. But he's also a hero with a problem. He landed the plane, but he did it with no sleep, and he did it with numerous controlled substances in his system. In fact, in one scene of that movie, he's addressing the, the entire audience, the, the passengers on the plane while secretly pouring himself a drink out of the, the beverage service on the plane. The truth is that Whip is an addict. He's a pilot. And because of this, because he had both of these things collide in one fateful day, he's in a really tough spot. And if he doesn't do something about this soon, then his days outside of prison are numbered. No, if we look at this situation that Whip Whitaker is this morning, all of us would agree Whip Whitaker is a liar. And truth be told, if all of us ask the question of us this morning, we know that he's not the only one. Amen? Amen. Thank you for that amen. I just, sometimes you wonder if people are going to respond to that. And it's a tough truth for us to swallow, but we have to start there this morning as we dive into this. Right now, as a church, uh, we're in this season of our life together. It's a chapter that we're in, and we're calling it Roots and Renewal. Everybody say Roots. roots. Come on, you got to do the actions with me. Everybody say Roots, roots. and renewal. renewal. Come on, this Sunday morning. You should be excited to be here. Roots, roots. and renewal. All right, very good. You wonder why you come here sometimes, don't you? The things we make you do, Right? Here's why we make you do that, because we want you to remember it. But we also do that because it's okay to have fun on Sunday mornings. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's okay to have fun, because, and it's okay to be excited, because it is a really exciting time for us as a church. Turn to the person next to you and say, did you know that it's exciting to be us right now? Turn to the person next to you and say that. Right? It's an exciting time, because we're moving into a new chapter as a church, God has given us. Let me just make sure that we're all clear on this, okay? It wasn't us that raised money for a new building. God has given us a new building down in Ingersoll in a prominent part of Des Moines. Is that exciting? That is exciting. And I'm not sure that we deserve it all the time either, especially as I look at the, the people that you've chosen to lead your church, I think. We, John and I think, and the rest of the staff, we say, who are we to be doing this? But it's this amazing gift that God has given us, and it's an exciting time to be the church. And when we were going through the building campaign way back in November, I mean, it was exciting, 
right? And we're kind of in this, this part of the journey. We're in the middle now. We can't, we can't see Chicago anymore, but Disneyland is still a long ways away, right? You kinda, it's the time when the trip kind of gets a little exhausting, and it's time to keep the momentum going, and you really have to look into it. And I just, I just want to say this morning, it is exciting. I mean, who knows what God is going to do? with the stuff, that, the gifts that he's given us. And we're in this season, as, as we're packing and, and going on this journey, we realize the season of that God's calling us into right now is the season of digging our roots, our roots deep, digging deep into God's word and soaking up all of the gifts, the renewal that he has for us. It's time for us as a church to go all in with God. Are you with us this morning? Going all in for God. And so we're in this season of going back to the basics and uh, we're digging in, going roots with God. We're hoping to experience God's renewal. And I got to tell you, it's been challenging. Even just going through the Ten Commandments, which is the series that we're in right now, God's Big Ten, it's been convicting for me, right? I mean, the stuff John talking about family, how do we treat God's name? What do we do with all of these different aspects of life? Putting God first in every situation. When I really think about that, it challenges me. But the cool thing about this series, I feel like week after week after week as we've been doing this, I feel like we have had the opportunity, at least personally, it's just been awesome to soak up God's grace. Yes, we fall short. Yes, we're broken. Yes, we don't get it right all of the time. But you know what's amazing? You know what's unbelievable is this grace that God gives us. And hopefully, if you haven't been experiencing that uh, during this, this season of roots and renewal that we're in, then I pray that it starts right now because it is an exciting time to be us. It's not a time to be broken down in our sin and wallowing in it, but it's a time to be excited about the God who sets us free, who liberates us, and this opportunity we have to take this joy and this rebirth and this life that he's given us and carry it down to Ingersoll and spread it over this entire city. It is so exciting to be the church today. And I think the way that we're going to get there, the way that we continue this journey is soaking up God's grace. And we're going to do that today, but at the same time also confronting the brutal truth about ourselves. That yes, from time to time, we may stretch the truth. Because the reality is all of us have a relationship with the truth and it changes as we go through life. We're constantly moving in and out of, of the way that we navigate our relationship with the truth. And if we're going to accept the brutal truth about us this morning, the truth is that we can be a lot like the guy in that movie. We can be a lot like Whip. I'm not saying that we're all alcoholics, which he obviously is, but I am saying that we're all vulnerable to this temptation to stretch the, the truth. Romans 3.23 talks about the fact that all of us have sinned. None of us get by scot-free. We're all guilty, but I love what Paul says. Check out Romans 3.4, and I'll put it up here on the screen, Paul is making an argument. He's just talking about the brokenness that pervades our society. And he makes this statement. He says, as he's making his case about something, he says, even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. You know what that tells me about Paul? Paul's been around a little while. Paul's been around the block. He knows enough to know people well enough to know that most of them, probably at one point or another, we, we cut corners. We take the shortcut. We take the easy way out and we stretch the truth to break it to our convenience. Paul knows that people know how to, con how to deceive. He knows that it's who we are. And from the looks that I've been getting from some of you already as I've been talking about this, from some of the stories I've heard you tell this morning, you know plenty about the fact, and you don't need a pastor to stand up here and say, right, that people and humans are quick to deceive sometimes. We're all effective, right? We're all affected. 
Would I lie to you this morning? Come on. (laughs) And again, if we're confronting the truth, sometimes we're the one dealing out the lies, but a lot of the times we're the ones that are receiving it. We live in a distorted world and don't have to go too far to remember that. Now, I thought about this morning, we could have some fun. I thought we could play two truths and a lie, but here's the thing. One, I'm a horrible liar. Ask my wife, she will tell you. I can't even, yeah, I can't even play the game two truths and a lie. And second of all, come on, church, I probably shouldn't lie to you, right? Pastors have a hard enough time. People are skeptical about uh, God's truth in the church and, and the, the organized religion enough. You probably don't need a pastor lying to you this morning. So we're going to do community time instead, which is a discipline we do every once in a while where you just find the person that you know the least in this room and you just get to talk to them. And you can talk about whatever you want. If you want to talk about the Cubs and the fact that spring is coming someday, fine, right? But I want to give you an opportunity as well. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the invitation that you can take this morning. I want you, if you're interested, stand up, walk around, find somebody that you don't know, and I want you to share these three things. One, your name. Always good during community time. If the goal is to build community, probably share your name. Two, how long have you been a part of this circus that we call Hope Des Moines, right? I'm just kidding about the circus part, uh, right? And then, and then if you can, if you can think of something, I know it might be hard, but a time where you lied or you're lied to, it can be serious, it can be funny, it can be whatever. But just, just as we're kind of sharing this, I wanted to give you an opportunity just to connect with this and with each other. So I'm going to give you just two minutes, so keep it kind of brief. Uh, but you can, you can find somebody you don't know and share these uh, three things. On your, are you ready? I'm ready. On your marks. Get set. Go. Here's what I notice every time we do that, especially when it's get something off your chest or tell a story. I mean, right, there are the serious ones, the ones that we're working with either right now or recently and have really probably hurt people. Uh, or we've been hurt by, and then there's the one, the things that we did in high school or whatever, right, that we still haven't told our parents about. So, but here's, here's what I noticed. It didn't seem like anybody was struggling to come up with a story, right? All of us have, it's, it's more, how do I choose from the variety of the options that I have? And, and here's what that tells me. Lying is all around us, right? Deception is all around us. I mean, it's part of who we are is human nature. And I just thought I'd give you some facts this morning, see if any of these catch you by surprise. Research suggests, suggests that 10-minute conversations usually contain at least 3.2 lies on average, all right? Here's the thing that I'm embarrassed about. Men often lie twice as much as women. <laughs> that's just one study. I don't know. It was two years old, so maybe that's, maybe that's changed since then, right? Hey, would I lie to you? The stats never lie. Right? Get this. Rough estimates suggest that we are lied to almost 200 times a day between all the messages that we receive. Right? Some of you are going to take what the people after the service say to you with a grain of salt. Right? Don't believe everything that people say to you. If it's on the internet, it must be true, right? The bus won't leave without you. Yeah, exactly. We're working on that one. The bus, the bus will not leave without you. I can promise you that. If not, we'll figure it out. And here's the thing. You may still be sitting here this morning and you might be saying, oh, come on, I'm not a liar, right? Do you know what the most common lie is that comes out of our mouths? Two words. I'm fine. Someone says, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. On the outside, right? When in reality, I'm a train wreck on the inside. Have you ever told someone, oh yeah, I'll call you, I'll call you, just to... or there's the Christian version, oh, I'll be praying, I'll be praying for you, <laughs> right? 
The reality, it's, it's everywhere. It's all around us. It's in our resumes, right? It's in our social media, the, the images that we put out there for people. And, and here's the thing. I think exaggerating something or just carefully wording something, right? All a matter of deception. We're sugarcoating or rearranging conveniently the truth. And, and also, I'm embarrassed about this one, but parents are just as bad. 59% of the parents that they talked to in one study admitted lying to their kids. Most common lies, we don't have time for that. Right? Oh, we don't get that channel. We can't do that. Right? We don't have that cartoon available to us. Right? Or if you get too close to the TV, it will begin to affect your eyes. There are all sorts of lies. And yet, as parents, we demand the truth from our kids. I go through this all the time with my kids. Did you know as early as two years old, not much after we can talk, humans have the cognitive ability developing to stretch the truth and to lie. It's all around us. And if that is a shock to you, come to my house. I can tell you story after story after story of how we're working through this. But it's a big deal. It's just a big deal because all of this deception has consequences. And it's a big deal because there are consequences because lying is powerful. And lying is powerful because words are powerful. Let me give you just a couple examples here, biblically speaking. Genesis 1, 3. God says, let there be... Light. God says, let there be light. God speaks a word, and creation is born. And that same power of words, it it comes through with Jesus. Jesus goes up to a man who's got leprosy in Matthew chapter 8, and he says, be healed. And the leprosy disappears. He speaks a word, and the reality for this man's entire life is changed in an instant. And it happens with Paul. It happens with Peter. It happens with us today. That's why James urges us in James chapter 3 to be careful with our words. He says we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is small. It's a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is the whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Powerful words from James. And essentially what he's saying is we can use the words, we can use our relationship with the truth to do one of two things. One, we can build things up, we can be positive and we can build things up, or we can tear things down. And in my experience as human beings, we tend to be great or better at the latter, right? We could build people up, but oftentimes we fall into this temptation to tear things down, to tear things apart. I had uh, recently had coffee with a, a guy in our congregation, and I wanted to tell him, uh, well, he wanted to tell me his story. It's, a, it's a, kind of a, a friend, and I know him. He's out at the West Des Moines campus, and, and I was excited to hear his story because I knew he'd been through some stuff, and, and, and I knew he'd come through it. I knew that he had had some reconciliation. He'd had some power, some healing, and so I wanted to hear his story. But as he shared his story, I got to tell you, it just, it just got to me. It got to me because I'm in the same boat that he is when it comes to the family situation. He's married. He's got a couple young kids. But our difference is that he got caught in a particular sin, a kind of sin that pushed him well beyond the boundaries of his marriage. And we're, we're bumping up against the topic that we talked about last week in the previous uh, commandment in God's top 10. Right? But he began to push the boundaries of his marriage, and eventually he got caught. And I can still hear the words 
that he said to me in that coffee shop, just fresh in my mind, he said, when I got caught, it could have been the best thing that happened to me. It could have been my ticket to freedom. It could have been an opportunity to change my direction. But do you know what he did? He just kept lying. And I think it's interesting when we think about this, even when we go to a courtroom, right? We put our hand on the Bible as a witness and we ask them to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There's a reason why we have to make humans do that, and it's because we don't just lie, right? But we lie in all these crafty ways. We kind of maneuver in each of these directions, and he was the one who didn't tell the whole truth. And so he quickly began to go back into old patterns, but this time he did it knowing that he'd had an opportunity. And so eventually as he went, as time passed, he began to experience the effects that all of us experience when we live with a lie. It began to fester. It began to weigh him down. And he got to this point finally where he had to tell lies to cover lies to cover lies to cover lies. And he began, as he was talking, I I just began to think about this web that he had created of, of all of these lies, and it just sounded exhausting. And the look on his face began to tell me that over and over again. And as he shared with me, all I could think of is his, his life really just looked like he was living this life for a while that looked like it was just a deck of cards built into a house. And the slightest little misstep, I mean, he couldn't even remember all the lies that he told. Just waiting for everything to come crashing down and eventually that happened. He got caught again, but this time it destroyed his relationship with his wife. And last week, John, as we were talking about relationships, John put this slide, this next slide up on the screen. And uh, he talked about this stool and he talked about this idea that relationships are this three-legged stool. Unless we have uh, success and, and connection in each of these areas, right, then the relationships can't flourish. So we've got the emotional, we've got physical, and we've got spiritual. And here's the thing. In order for the connection, for the intimacy to take place in those areas, in any relationship, there has to be trust. There has to be trust. Andy Stanley, a a pretty famous pastor, I was listening to a parenting sermon that he was given uh, maybe a year ago or so, and he talked about the number one rule in his house with his kids was this, no lying. Because the lying destroys the relationships. Lying destroys relationships. We can't have this, right, if we don't be honest about what's going on and who we are. And many would ask, the deal. I mean, we live in a culture that says, what's the deal with lying? I mean, a little white lie, does that hurt anybody? Yes, it does. Eventually, and you may not experience it yourself, but eventually it hurts. Lie long enough, you're going to end up completely on your own. Just ask Whip, the character in that movie, Flight, as he's working through this and he begins to go around to person to person trying to cover his story and get out of the situation that he's in with this investigation he begins to realize that he's on his own. Even the people, every person that reaches out to him, he ends up hurting and pushing away. Much like anyone who's ever faced addiction, it goes and it goes and it goes, and eventually you end up on your own. But what I want to let you know this morning is it wasn't supposed to be like this. This is not the way that we were created to live. And in fact, there's good news on the horizon 
See, when we started out, things were supposed to be much different. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 1. And I know we've been taking you to Genesis a lot lately, but I just, I can't seem to find another way to get to it because it's the beginning of the story. It's the beginning of your story. It's the beginning of my story, right? It's the beginning of our story. And if you're looking for Genesis 1, it's in the very, very front, the very beginning of the story. And it's important that we start here. Because the degree to which we understand our connection to this story, this isn't just some fairy tale, right? This is us. These are our descendants. It determines how you look at all of this stuff. Your relationship with the truth is dramatically impacted by it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 1, and we're going to kind of move through these first four chapters pretty quick. But here's what happens. And as, as you look at this, I want you to pay attention to the ways that our relationship with the truth is altered as we move even through the first four chapters Genesis 1.26, after God has done all of his creating work, he's made earth and the sea and the stars and the sky, and, and uh, he eventually gets to the point he makes human beings, and he says, let us make human beings in our image. We've talked about this before, but I want us to remember this morning that we are created in the image of God. God's thumbprint is on us. And as we talk about this topic, it's important that we know this. Here's the thing, they're created in the image of God, they, they have God's DNA within them, they resemble God in a, in a way, and he gives them everything that they need, and life is good, right? Chapter 2 goes on, and life is good, that is until our enemy shows up, and you know that we have an enemy, right? And I'm not talking about the person in your neighborhood that leaves their garbage can out all the time, right? That was supposed to be a funny joke, but it wasn't. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, though. We have a spiritual enemy, and man, is he good at what he does. Every day I work in ministry, I'm continually reminded in my own life how the enemy is trying to take me out, and I see it with other people, and that's part of why God calls us into community. That's why we push things like life groups and regular worship attendances, because it's so easy for the enemy just to work in a little crack in our life and suddenly make that a huge divide. So as I read this to you, I want you to watch just how subtle and how good he is. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God made. And one day he asked the woman. Notice he goes to an individual. Again, this is why God calls us in community. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Do you see what's already going on there? He just asked a question, right? He's not, he's not lying yet. He's planting a seed of doubt. That happens all the time in our lives. You question your ability to do something. You're freaked out because the situation isn't under control. You're wondering if God can come through for you. I guarantee you that's not the message the Holy Spirit's sending to us. It's the message that the enemy wants us to believe. So he just kind of cozies up to Eve. He says, are you, are, you sure, are you sure that God really said that? And she reply, replies, well, of course, we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we can't eat. After all, God said, we must not eat it or touch it if you do, you will die. And eventually the lies begin to escalate. He realizes there's some momentum now with Eve, and he begins to say, he says, you won't die, verse 4. You won't die. 
The serpent, or God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. He knows that you'll be like him. Again, it's a partial truth, but he starts with that lie. You won't die. He's beginning to call it into question, and that's all it takes. That's all it takes for our story to be completely derailed in the middle of the third chapter of the entire Bible. The next verse says that the woman was convinced and she ate it. Damage is done. Satan didn't have to do much. He had to plant a seed of doubt and let our human intellect and our reason and our natural tendencies, our curiosity, do the rest of the work. He has to get the ball rolling and we take care of ourselves if we're isolated. But wait, it gets worse. They realize that they're naked and they hide and so God finds them. And when he finds them, he goes to Adam and he says, Hey, what's going on? Like, why are you hiding? Who told you that you were naked? And what does he do? He lies. Not in a direct way. He doesn't tell a flat-out lie, but he lies by blaming. You ever done that? Tried to blame someone else? Essentially, you're lying because Adam should be saying, well, yes, we are guilty. I was part of this. It's my responsibility as much as Eve's. Yes, the serpent got to her, but why was she alone in the first place? Right? Why wasn't I there telling her the truth? And so he lies. He says, oh, it was this woman that you gave me. Guys, we started out horrible in the beginning of the Bible, didn't we? And it's a process that continues over and over and over and over again. Even into chapter 4, as Adam and Eve's son Cain, their offspring, kills his brother Abel. And again, he lies about it to God. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. He probably went out to hang out with his buddies, right? No. And so this is where our story begins, covering it up, right? Adam and Eve work really hard to cover their shame. They sew on fig leaf after fig leaf after fig leaf to take care of themselves. And the story has gotten drastically off track from where it was at the beginning. And just to be clear, let's recap. Genesis 1, life is good. Genesis 2, life is good. Genesis 3, Satan lies. We believe it. We let it affect us. Genesis 4, We pay it forward as we still do to this day. We're only four chapters into this story and you already have to ask yourself, what happened? And the answer is that Satan happened. And Jesus has some choice words to describe him. In John, again, he shares this as he's arguing with the Pharisees. He says, your enemy has always hated the truth. Because there is no truth in him, when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father lies. Many people are asking, what's the deal with lying? Why is it such a big deal? Yeah, I know it could destroy relationships, right? But if I just tell a little white lie, I mean, if I just take a little shortcut every once in a while, that's okay, isn't it? Right? Here's the reality. Pay attention to this, because this startled me when I realized it this week. If we give in to the temptation to lie, even a little bit, pretty soon, if it snowballs in our life, we begin to look more like we're made in the image of Satan than the image of God. And when you live your life, what character do you reflect right now, right? Are you living with integrity, as in God's integrity, faithful? God always is true to what he says, or are you resembling something else? Jesus says that our enemy is the father of lies. We have an enemy, and obviously God is not okay with that. He doesn't want us to end there. So he sends Jesus to rescue us. And it's why in Isaiah 61, one of my favorite verses, it's a, it's a prophecy about Jesus. And he quotes it later on in Luke. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Favorite part. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, to let the blind know that they will see that the oppressed will be set free, to bind up the brokenhearted, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And when Jesus reads that, he takes the scroll, he rolls it up, he sits down and he says, I am that guy. Because I know you have an enemy and you need saving. That's why Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. That's why Jesus says later on in John 8, he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And you might be saying, sitting here this morning saying, well, that's, those are some nice Bible verses. I'm glad you know your Bible, preacher boy. But what does that have to do with me telling the truth? And if we're going to dial this in, if we're going to understand what this has to do with the truth, then we have to understand what is it that makes us lie? What are the temptations that we give into, right? As far as I can tell, and maybe I'm off on this, but the reason why most of us lie, one of two reasons. One, we want to get something, or two, we want to avoid something. I see this in my house all the time, right? I want to get something. I've watched my kids come down and to my face say, hey, mom said we could watch TV. I'm like, oh, really? It just sounds a little too good to be true right now based on the way you've been behaving, right? So I go upstairs, talk to my wife because I think she's working on She's asleep. She's taking a nap, right, which she's entitled to. My kids saw a moment. They saw a window, right? Maybe we could sneak one by dad. We want to get something, right? And so they come down and uh, we have a little chat at that point in my house, Right? Inevitably, also, the other way, to avoid something. We lie to avoid something. In my house, it's inevitable. If two or more are gathered in my house in a room under the age of five, crying erupts eventually. Right? And I go in the other room and I say, hey, what's going on? I'm trying not to blame. Right? I'm trying not to judge or, or walk into it with my own opinion. And, and somebody will say, no, 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 no. You know, and all the lies start flying. Right? And, and eventually, we sort through it. But they're constantly saying, oh, I don't know. I don't, what happened there? I, I don't know. It's in our DNA. And it's so easy for us to get sucked into. But that's what we do, to get something or to avoid something. And especially as a preacher, it would be so easy to stand up here, right? Or as, even in conversation during the week, it would be so easy just to say, to water down the truth, just to tell partial truths, to, to leave parts, tough parts of the story out, to leave those Bible verses that I wish weren't quite so abrasive out of the conversation. Even in a building campaign, you know, we could just say a little bit more, make you some bigger promises. Oh, if we do this, God will do this, right? We don't know all that. We know that he's faithful, right? But that temptation constantly is around us. And we know that it's a part of us. The evil that we talked about in Proverbs 6 today in our Bible reading, right? Why do we do it? I think we do it because it's too easy to take the shortcut. It's, we don't like the pain that comes with the truth sometimes, and sometimes we wonder deep down if the serpent was right. Sometimes we wonder, gosh, can we really trust God or do I need to take care of this on my own? Is God going to work this out? Am I going to be okay if I pay the price for my lying or do I need to figure this out? I mean, I've got to protect myself, right? I mean, it's up to me. I've got to make sure that, I mean, nobody's watching out for me. That's, that's the way it is these days. You know, if you want to get ahead, you've got to do what it takes because it's up to me. It's up to me. I'm all alone, Right? Or are you? I love what Paul says in Romans. He says, and if you hear me say nothing else today, hear this. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Hear this. God is for you. I love Luke 11. Which of you fathers? This is Jesus talking. He says, if you ask for a fish, do you give a snake instead, right? If dads on earth can figure it out, surely your heavenly father can do it. 
Uh, later on in Matthew 6, he says, look at the birds, God feeds them. Look at the flowers, right, who are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow. They're just, they're temporary. And yet God makes them beautiful. He clothes them. How much more precious are you? How much better care will he take of you, his precious child? What does this have to do with lying? If fear is the reason that we lie, and I think it's huge. In the kingdom of God, we don't have to worry about lying anymore because we have nothing to fear, amen? We have nothing to fear. Yes, it might be uncomfortable. Yes, there might be a price to pay, but at the end of the day, we know how the story ends, and yet we constantly come back to these fig leaves, and we keep trying to convince everybody, oh yeah, look at my fig leaf, it's good, it's good, I'll just keep lying, and God sees right through it. So what do we do? How is it that we create and maintain this positive relationship with the truth? And I've got four things that we probably should think through today. One is that we should find the lie. Not the lies that you just told somebody or people have been telling you, but the lie from Satan that he's managed to work in there that's caused you to doubt God and his ability to take care of you. Right? Two questions for you. What do you fear these days? And can God really help you with that? Do you believe that? If not, you need to surround yourself with some words from the scriptures and some people to remind you of the truth, people with stories to tell about God coming through. And once you've found the lie, this is my favorite one. Number two, you need to kill it, right? What do you do with your enemies? You kill them. I mean, in a spiritual sense, you know what I'm talking about. Careful. Ephesians chapter 6 Paul's laying out all of the different weapons that we have to fight this spiritual battle. Again, not a physical battle. I'm talking about spiritual enemies this morning. He says, take up the sword of the Spirit. What do you do with a sword? It's not just to look at. To defend yourself. Hebrews 4 talks about the Word of God. That's the sword. Is the Word of God. It's the truth, right? It's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. If you want to kill the lie in your life, pick up the sword. That is, remember the truth. We don't just do Bible studies because they're fun. We do it because we need it. We need to remind ourselves of the truth. And as you've killed the lies, the lies, inevitably we get to that point where it's time to come clean. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He just says, stop telling lies. I love it when it's direct and simple. I can memorize that verse, right? Stop telling lies. And he continues on a few verses later. He says, don't use foul or abusive language, but let everything you say be good and helpful so that the words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. But the thing about this, coming clean, sharing the truth, is that it's so much easier said than done. And I'd be lying to you this morning if I said, oh, it's painless, right? It's tough. Sometimes it seems impossible to tell the truth, to acknowledge that, because in order for us to be forgiven with the other person that we've destroyed the relationship with, they have to let us be forgiven. And that doesn't always happen. It's tough, but it's good. Because the alternative is to let the effects build up and weigh us down, like the house of cards I was talking about with my friend earlier. And going back to the movie I, I started with this morning, Flight, is that through this whole movie you've, you've seen Whip, this main character, begin to feel the effects of this, and you begin to see him struggle. And finally, it comes to the point where he's at his hearing. He has to testify, and going into it, he's convinced he's going to lie, but you can begin as he speaks, you begin to see that he's really starting to wonder, is it worth it? Do I have what it takes to keep doing this, 
or is it time for something else? Let's take a look. I'll leave it as a cliffhanger, uh, reveal it to you in, in just a moment. But he's one, he's, he's at that moment, he's at that point in life, right, where, where he's coming along and he's just lied like 17 times. And you can begin to see the effects working on him as he goes through this. And, and eventually he, he begins to come to this point, you can see it in his face, like, I just don't know if it's worth it. And he's looking at the other guys there who are his lawyers and, and the people representing his union, which, I mean, there are huge legal and financial ramifications for many people in that room, depending upon how he answers that question. And as, as you get to know Whip through the story, you understand that he's been lying for years, Right? But it's almost like he's coming to this point where he just, he, he just can't even tell one more lie. And so finally, he comes to that third step. He finally takes the step to come clean. And what's amazing about it, as he comes clean, he begins to experience the fourth step in this process, the fourth thing we need to do in order to enjoy our relationship, a healthy relationship with the truth, and that is to live in freedom. That is number four, to live in freedom, to enjoy it. I mean, remember Jesus' words from John chapter 8, right? I mean, it's almost like he's saying, rest easy. Jesus says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I want to close with this third clip as part of this movie tonight, or this, this morning, and I want to just ask you, as you watch this guy, do you get the sense that he's changed from the person that he was? Do you get the sense as you watch him talk to his uh, roommates, we shall say, that he's living in freedom? Let's take a look. And so that's Whip's story. For the first time in life, he is free. And the question I want to leave you with this morning is, are you I love what Jesus says as he's quoting Isaiah 61, standing in front of people teaching religious leaders, and he says, I have come to bind up the brokenhearted. I have come to set the captives free. Later on in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and life to the full. What does your relationship with the truth look like this morning as you walk in here? Are you living in freedom or is it time to come clean? Like I said, as part of this series, yes, we're, we're facing the brutal realities about ourselves, but we are so, I mean, we are taking a bath in God's grace. And here's the thing, all of us, whether we've done pretty good or maybe we struggle with this constantly, all of us slip into times where we need to renew our commitment to the truth. We need to remind ourselves of who we are. That's why we offer prayer every Sunday after worship. Because after worship, one of us in this room at least is probably in a position where God is saying, you need to soak up my grace. And so if that's you this morning, we want to invite you to come forward. We're going to have a group of people up here that loves listening, loves caring, loves understanding, but loves more than anything saying, you are forgiven. That's who you are. Remember the story derails in Genesis 3 and 4 and pretty much the rest of Scripture until Jesus comes. But let's not forget where the story begins. Genesis chapter 1. You are made in the image of God. 
And because of that, God will never leave you. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from God's love. And that, my friends, is no lie. Let's stand together and pray.